Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Well, good morning from snowy Maryland. <laughs> very, very unusual, unusual winter, uh, for sure, uh, with mm-hmm. the temperature fluctuation at least. But it's nice to see some snow. I feel like the past couple winters, it's been a little, little lacking. Well, good for you. I'm so glad that you're happy. <laughs> I always say, you know, I don't like the cold. But I like the snow, so I, I'm I'm okay with the cold if we got some snow. But otherwise, what's the point? Tell you what, I was stuck, believe it or not, for 19 hours. No in, way! In my home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yeah. We shouldn't I, joke about that. Yeah, man. I, I full of people. I know you. I, you know, I'm not opposed to the all electric future. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, you're out on nine ninety five for nineteen hours, and your battery dies. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm, that's brutal. Now we're gonna have to have mobile recharging stations. <laughs> true, true. And the good news is, they say, listen, they're all one. No, no, they they have to be run by battery, so they can only recharge so many and so much time. So they say, listen, Mike, you've been out here nineteen hours in your new Ford F one fifty, all electric. But you got to be out here now four more hours to yeah. get you. <laughs> to mm. All right. So, you know, we're not opposed to all this. We just think the infrastructure isn't quite there yet. But that, <laughs> that, was a, that was pretty stunning to read stories of people stuck for 19 oh my. Yeah. plus hours. And, uh, yeah, life gets pretty basic. But let's... Uh, Let's move on to cheerier things. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, I think cheerier. We're, yeah, maybe not. We're, we're we're picking up where a little bit where we left off. Uh, the, the last conversation we had, we had talked a little bit about uh, the, the Great Resignation, um, which is this kind of name given to this more sweeping trend. Uh, definitely resonates in the tech industry. I think it, it bleeds out into other industries as well. But it's um, where we've seen... Uh, many individuals leave their jobs over the past, uh, I don't know the exact time frame, but I, I guess year or two, something like that. And um, I, as, as an individual, you know, as an, as an employee, I'll say, we, we hit on that a little bit last week, which uh, during, that, or the, during that conversation, which I think was um, de- very helpful, particularly from the perspective of a believer and uh, searching for contentment, um, kind of putting some introspection into my my endeavor in my my quote unquote career and, and why I'm doing this, what's the purpose of work. So that was helpful. Uh, what I'd like us to go today is talking about the flip side of that, the perspective as maybe an employer, maybe a, a manager, someone who's um, not questioning my own job, but, but really in charge of 
trying to navigate the great resignation and trying to uh, to to keep people at their jobs and 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 keep them satisfied. And so I'll start with a little bit of like a, a specific kind of um, maybe story that will help kick us off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking through in in my experience of work. Um, I I remember hearing. We had an individual at, at one point that was a little bit risky. You know, there's, there, there are those questions, I think, in a good organization, there should be those questions of, like, who's at risk for, for leaving? And uh, the answer, uh, well, there, there was an individual that came to mind for me at, at this time, and I remember the answer being, okay, well, what's our retention plan for this person? And that seemed quite... It, it, for some reason, that question just did not resonate with me. It, it in in thinking about it, it, it felt just so narrow. You know, there are only so many levers you can pull as a retention plan. Uh, in terms of, well, we can talk to them about potentially more money or something. Or it, it just felt very narrowly focused, which to me is 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 triggering. Obviously, that oh, it's probably pretty left brained, maybe maybe thought here, um, but. I, I want to dissect a little bit with you, Mike, why, why that felt narrow um, and, and, and really like what, what is a better frame for us to think about when it comes to particularly believers in some of these positions? If, if we have management having these conversations about retention plan and I, it, it goes back to our conversation of salt and light of how can we, how can we approach this from a different frame that might be more effective in ultimately retaining people but like there's there's something before that the retaining people is the outcome but there's something about building a workplace environment that's that's a a good healthy workplace environment um so maybe kind of start from there of like what's a better frame to to analyze this uh than thinking about retention plans yeah i'm i'm I'm, uh it's a good question i'm certainly understand the idea of retention the um, something seems to be amiss in in terms of um, you know when we cup our hands because you're racing across the yard because you promised to give your child a drink of water and you don't have a cup handy so you're trying to retain this water in your hand (laughs) there's something about it where you go hmm a little better preparation might have avoided this whole thing (laughs) <laughs> and uh so, so that's where really we close the podcast <laughs> yeah. well, that's yes yes that's uh that's 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 a good one we'll start now, i like that there's just something amiss so listeners we don't know necessarily what it is well, let's just assume first of all the best of intentions but it um retention you know, in one respect, if, if you're somewhat familiar with the Bible, it's the idea of the word keep. And, and there's a dynamic in there. First, we're to keep the faith, but we're also kept by God. And the idea of being kept by God is, amongst other things, to produce a sort of settled sense of you don't have to move into panic palace when things don't go as you thought they would or as you imagine they would. Now, that may or may not play into it, but from the, from the uh, first place to the management side, 
we've touched on this before, but I think that um, once you're in the world of management, you, you're it's fraught with problems. And uh, indeed, so you, you've got that problem right there. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I understand very well. I've got lots of friends, many of them Christians too. Who I always call them the gum chomping Christians. They go, let's get practical. And um, often equate that with, um, can you imagine if uh, Kathy, my wife, came to me and said, you know, Mike, I love you so much. Love you more than yesterday. And I go, yeah, let's get practical. What does that mean for me? What does that mean? What's that? Yeah. (laughs) Get practical. Um, and And I've had Christians before, even close friends who say, you know, all this stuff about purpose and calling, it's just, it's way too esoteric. It's way too abstract. No, you, we got to get practical. Now, that is part of what Max Weber addressed in his book on the Protestant work ethic. Now, by the way, I, you know, I'm not a Weber disciple. Also, by the way, I can tell if anybody's ever read Weber because they say, oh, Max Weber. <laughs> his, his name is spelled W-E-B-E-R, like the Weber grill, or maybe Weber grills, two Bs. Anyway, uh, Weber talked about that the difference with the Protestant work ethic for all its good intentions, a lot of the purpose and calling and the glory of God and sovereignty sort of became abstract. It really is industriousness, which again is is a virtue. But industriousness can tend to easily tilt into what we have called the, the left hemisphere of make it practical. Now, it did create many practical inventions but he also, he said it creates a disenchantment. And he didn't mean like you wake up and go, oh, I'm so disenchanted in my work. It has more to do with, there's nothing mysteriously wonderful and there's no sense of that my work is part of a work signature that's making the world a better place. It might, it, a lot of it might just be because within industriousness came industrialization and with that came the beginning of people making widgets. Now, when, when you're making a widget, I mm. just think it's, it is so difficult to walk up to someone stamping metal in a Ford factory and say, wow, you're doing this for the glory of God? Isn't this meaningful? Isn't this purposeful? I was yeah, even thinking beauty alone. Oh, oh yeah, isn't that isn't that piece of metal beautiful? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you. You've ever worked in an auto factory? I have not. No, I have. First of all, you couldn't hear someone if it came up next to you back in the day. <laughs> you had to wear your plugs. But second, um, yeah, you can see where it just is. It's um, now. I'm not saying that in earlier ages people were smarter. They were wiser necessarily, but there was 
by what Charles Taylor and others wrote about, there was a bit more of a wider imagination by, as Lewis said, they would look up in the sky and realize it's not just planets and machinery and mechanistic motion. These planets sing, there's music, there's a music of the spheres, there's beauty, there are angels. And what Weber was trying to touch on, most of that has disappeared. And then on top of that, with the Frederick Winslow Taylor, the idea that people had to be managed, you can see why the ancient linking between marriage and work, seen in Genesis, seen in the Babylonian exile when God says return to these two fundamental foundations, which has been highlighted as having great ascendancy, particularly in the Middle Ages, how it, in a way, civilized, in a good way, norms of responsibility and faithfulness, monogamy. And now that's kind of just going... So when you're left with a world of choice, it has a certain disenchantment that we're not in touch with. And I think that's what's happened then is when you're managed and you work it, maybe you are writing code somewhere. It's, um, it's hard not to reduce the two. Many have written about one of the problems with the enlightenment is everything was just simply became mathematization. It's a long word, but it basically says it comes down to math. And by the way, if you think if you're a pastor or if you're a Christian or whatever, you think, well, that doesn't affect me. I'm glad to say I'm a Christian. Really, ask the average person how their church is going. And the mm -hmm. well over, yeah, three quarters of the time, you're going to hear what? Uh, it's going great. Our buildings getting bigger, more attendance, all. That's right. Number one thing is, yeah, that's right. We grew numerically. And no thought of, you know, the fastest growing cell in a human body is cancer. Now, I'm not saying church growth is cancerous. You get the point. Right. But that's what's meant by mathematization is you don't even think twice about it. We had a good year because we grew. And so if you are someone who didn't grow or didn't grow as fast as you imagined financially and you're in a tight labor market and there are, there's lots of openings, I think if you're someone who is leading a business, you're really up against it. And I'm, I, I just don't think, I think we have to, once you're saying, how do we retain? That's what happens when a couple goes to a marriage counselor because they sense one or both are getting close to walking out the door. 
Mm -hmm. And that's called remedial versus preventative. And preventative is, you know, working out every other day so that you get to be a certain age and someone says, boy, you've really, your heart's in great shape. Your lungs are in great shape. You've actually prevented the onset of all sorts of things that people your age have. You know, it's funny because I'm thinking just this idea of business versus personal, you know, and the, the old saying, that's just business. And <laughs> you're beginning to blur those lines a bit here, uh, probably in a good way as, as usual, because it's, it's, it's begins to call that into question. What, why, or what's my relationship with, uh, my employees? What's my relationship with my direct reports? Uh, what's the purpose of that? You know, it's, it's not, it sounds like it might not be just business. Exactly. Because where does the word business come from? What does it mean? Busyness. <laughs> it's just what keeps you busy. Um, there's, um, it is fascinating that when Harvard announced, what, what, I don't know, 200 years ago now, um, somewhere in there, maybe 100 years ago, right, that they are going to launch a business school, be about 100 years ago. Um, the faculty, there's a, a little limerick they put out, but uh, it was to basically say, you've got to be kidding me. This isn't an academic discipline. Everybody's in business. Everybody's busy. But the fear was you're going to turn it into a professionalization, and which also um, inverts the meaning of that word, because a profession, by its very word, meant that you were professing something about the nature of work, but not just work. The world we live in, what does it mean to be a human being? Um, who is God? It was professing all this enchanted reality because it came out of guilds, the word profession, Middle Ages, the medieval world. And again, as Lewis writes, when you sat in a cathedral, you had a sense that you weren't just looking up, but you were looking in all the way into the depths of, oh, this is who we are. This is why we exist. This is what's happening all around us. This is what we participate in. You strip all that out. When you go to the average church today, maybe you're sitting in a theater or sitting in a gym or somewhere. Um, it's pretty much, oh, I have a vertical relationship with God. That's where I'm going when I die. So now I go work at Walgreens. What's that got to do with all this? I don't know. I don't really like it much here. Hmm. Well, over there, they're hiring for $2 more an hour. I'm out of here. Yep. Yep. That reflects conversations I've, I've had, I've heard. Yeah. And so at that point, there is something. So put it back in what used to be coupled work and marriage. One spouse says to the other, I think I'm thinking of leaving. Now, first of all, you got to realize that you may be too late to the game. 
Hmm. Second, it's an indictment on what didn't we do? We. And so you can see that the, all this talk of retention doesn't generally come with a, uh, hold it. If people weren't leaving, would we be having this conversation? I mean, I'm, I'm in no way implying that. First of all, that, that there's, there certainly isn't easy answers here. I've heard of companies saying we, we uh, try to give certain rewards, certain, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, you know, if you, if you hit these marks, you get oh, like achievement, achievement awards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Or psychic paychecks. Some have called it that, uh, that, um, mm. <laughs> and you know, I think that they all, they mean well, but I, I don't, I don't think they get at the heart of what Weber was trying to address is with productivity and industriousness, you slowly, imperceptibly, there's a, there's a great divide opening up between your work and how you understand friendships, i.e. And, and marriage. And the two were designed to be bound together you know, we've joked before, but I, I mean, I've never walked into your home, Pat, and there's a mission statement on your wall that, you know, you and Maddie have hammered out. I was just, I was hiding it when you came over last time. I know, you always take that stuff down. And, you know, your 10 <laughs> core values. <laughs> now, there's a reason why. It's, it, it, as you know, it, it's what was the problem with the 10 commandments or as Mel Brooks said, the 15 and Moses drops five on the way down. But <laughs> but what was the problem with the Ten Commandments? Uh, Paul wrote about it in Romans 5. I, I hope that's the chapter, right? It was his heart. It begins to die the moment the ink hits the paper, the moment the chisel hit the stone, the moment it hit the parchment, the letter kills. The Spirit gives life. So that means... When someone, first of all, says, what's marriage? Just a piece of paper. What's a license? It's not just a piece of paper, but it's the spirit of why you got married that keeps that alive. When you divorce those, you end up in divorce court. And when in the same way a company the great marriages don't have those things written on the wall because they're written on your heart. That was the big difference with the new covenant that Jesus said, that Jeremiah predicts. God predicts through the prophet Jeremiah, to be technically correct here. He says, uh, this one will be different. It's going to be written on your heart. It's going to be written on your conscience. So that one person won't have to say, yeah, they know the Lord, because no, in this marital gospel, would be like you and Maddie getting married and bumping into some friends who just got married and say, hey, you guys ought to try a nuptial union, man. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. They're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? Of course, we know. We know. 
One will not have to say the other know the Lord because they will all know the Lord. It'd be written on their hearts, it'd be written on their bodies. It'll be experienced in a oneness. Again, I, as soon as those words left my mouth, I can hear listeners going, there you are out there scraping the heavens again. <laughs> and yet, you can't be happily married if you aren't scraping the heavens. And when you divorce those two, you divorce that from work and turn work into these, oh, we tie ourselves up into pretzel knots to try to get some kind of ooze, some kind of language out about purpose and meaning. And I think what we're seeing with the great resignation is um, those words are pretty much vacuous for a lot of people. What I like, I mean, what what you are underscoring really is this this divide between um, you know work versus personal, or you're you're really driving this message of the heart. Heart here is really what's important, and capturing the heart of people you work with, particularly if if you are a manager and you have a team that you serve or something. There is, there is something. It's, it's actually really, I think, risky, to to foster a heart uh, and focus on the heart. It's risky because you could, you could get, you could get hurt big time when people do decide to leave. Um, but that's that's, uh, I think, what you're saying is, it's really more of our calling. It's, it's part of that calling to serve others. Is, is you have to love them and you have to love them well. And that's not just business. Yeah, you've got to. And, and also, um, just, just to clarify one thing, I found it helpful to pick up on the Hebrew notion of heart, which was, uh, that, was a, that was the physical metaphor, the, the material world metaphor for the immaterial reality of we have a conscience. And so to focus on conscience, which used to be part of our vocabulary up to the roughly the 1800s, societally and also in the, in the church. And so you would, um, that conscience is what makes us self-aware that even if I can't put my finger on it, God, God wants me to do in this work, and it's important work. And I might not even know exactly how important it is, but there's a certain contentment. Again, back to the Protestant work ethic, it, it partly dr is driven by discontentment. And this has, in my opinion, has blossomed. Well, no, blossom is the wrong word. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> it's mushroomed like an atomic cloud, if you want to put it that way by um, fostering a discontentment that is, that is frankly absurd at times. Uh, yeah, we joked about, about it before, but it's a HGTV where a young couple, um, Mike and Kathy are looking for their first home. First of all, when you watch them play act in their home, you go, boy, they really had to work to 
keep bumping into each other in the kitchen <laughs> so they could say, we can't cook in this kitchen. Now, Kathy and I in our bathroom, we're going to get close up and personal here. We have one sink and our vanity. Yes, listeners, it's true. We share a sink. I don't believe it. I'll send pictures next time. <laughs> the number shows there you go. Can't do that. Can't. Well, this is this is back to that wonderful scene in Avalon where the young boy says, Can I go to the bathroom? He's an immigrant from Eastern Europe, doesn't know the difference between the teacher says yes, and he gets up, he goes, No. Because the question is not, can you go to the bathroom? It's, may I go to the bathroom? And that just loses the parents. They're like, we don't understand this country. <laughs> I don't understand this country. <laughs> when someone says, well, that stove, like the appliances, oh my gosh, they are 10 years old. We can't cook on those. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, Pat, not just you, Pat, no one else. You have to ask yourself this question. <laughs> How did we get to a point? How did we get to this point? Another example is when China was opened up in 1989, dang. And you had first first came rushing in was Kentucky Fried Chicken, the Yum Yum brand, the three Taco Bell. But you also had um, builders. And within 15 years, maybe 20, the average square footage that the Chinese, a Chinese citizen felt they had, had to live had quadrupled. Wow. Wow. One in four Chinese children now are called little Buddhas. They're fat. I mean, this is, but, but, but back to the apartment. Why? What changed? What what was fine for so many years? It's part of what fuels this is what's called in the auto industry was first to use it. Planned obsolescence. So familiar with that phrase? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my father worked for General Motors. Kathy's father did also, and. So Chevrolet brought out a new Chevrolet every year. Why? It was to fuel the discontentment of, dead common, we bought that 59, and now they've done away with, with uh, fins. Dang. You got a one-year-old car, and it's obsolete. Car ran fine, but it lost a good chunk of its value because fins went out in 59. Yes, listeners, that's how old I am. <laughs> and... Uh, and then one, then you got into the call the modern modernization era of automobile design, but it just never ends. It fuels an underlying discontentment that fuels the lottery, because a lot of people play the lottery, which I feel is immoral, by the way, as a shortcut to being industrious because they're they're discontent they want a shortcut to a solution to all their problems because mm, mm, mm-hmm. you can get to a million dollars if you're frugal yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> see, see many a Dave Ramsey conversation or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, just, yeah. you just have to be willing to, it's called delayed gratification. And Kathy and I are at that age. We've delayed our gratification. Again, not holding ourselves up as this beacon of virtue. I'm just saying, first of all, marry the right woman who when I would run out impulsively and get new basketball shoes every few weeks, like I was acting like some kind of NBA guy. <laughs> so, you know, so what's the matter you? <laughs> Those are perfectly fine. I've seen you play. They're not going to, the new ones aren't going to improve your game. And uh, you, you just have to have, I had a, didn't know, a discontentment. And godliness is a means of great, main, great gain when accompanied by contentment. This, this is great because what you corrected from something I had said earlier, or at least the, what you had clarified, you know, when I, I, I think this, this piece we're on now just stemmed from talking about the heart at the workplace and having a heart for people and fostering a heart. But that can come off as very therapeutic and to almost the, the sense of make your employees happy. And that's not correct. Uh, as, as you clarified, what we're talking about is driving towards the heart as we know it, which is conscience. And I, and I think that's what I like about what you're saying. The last conversation we had was talking about finding contentment as the individual. But if we're to foster conscience at a workplace, that is to, in a way, instill or call into question, why are we here? So as a manager, it's not just loving my people and trying to make them happy. It is, it is fostering a good conscience. And what I mean by that is um, I'm thinking of like this resonated with conversations I've had where when I sense any, any level of comparison or I'm looking for, you know, what, what are you looking to get out of your career or your performance review? And it starts driving towards money. One of the first correctives I start to draw out in a very, uh, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but in a sensitive way is we eventually get to the conversation of if you want to make money, I'm, I, I will definitely support you there. The reality is it'll likely be through another another company, particularly in the tech world. It's very well known. If you want to make a lot of money, you got to switch jobs every every couple of years, if not less mm -hmm. these days. So if, if, if that's what we're talking about, that's okay. I, I would love to help you, but I'd love for you to be at this company. We just got to figure out and talk through here what it is you want out of out of being here. And it's it's like that conversation, I, I think, I'd like to think, is a bit of a corrective to if you're just here, you know, this is the first little set kind of piece of correcting dis discontentment or, 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 or maybe pricking the conscience for discontentment of really, really putting the question back in their court of why are you working here? Is it, is it just to, to, to get money? If that's the case, we're, we're probably not going to work out very well. And so I, I think that's, yeah, I, I just I like what you're saying. I'm I'm curious if you think that's in line with yeah, this conscience piece. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny in a parallel universe when uh, 
when I was a pastor, I kept a list of about six or eight churches in the area. I thought they were fine churches. And I said, someone was discontented. I said, you know, we try to have a larger back door than a front door here. Hmm. And um, you might want to check these out. Because I was always, I was always uh, felt the average person switches way too often hmm. in terms of churches. But um, there, are, there are many who stay too long. And, um, mm-hmm. so you, what you just said in the same way with the business is, um, I thought that's brilliant that just to, uh, if you can almost say, listen, if that's, if that's numero uno, this probably won't work out well in the long run because we think that's very important, but it's not conscience does this. It widens the lens. You know, I don't, I don't work. I'm not on Facebook. I don't, don't, well, I know a handful of people work for Facebook. Same with Amazon. But I think there are some things that are, that, that have been surfaced that question whether those who lead and give direction are operating in the best of conscience. That for all the good, what about the the addictive behaviors? What about the what all the things that Tristan Harris is trying to raise? That to me, it's telling that he 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 meets with resistance from the insiders. I I'm I'm in no way uh, envious of uh, Jeff Bezos. I don't know much about him. Doesn't appear to be, frankly, a faithful husband. But I'm just, I'm looking and saying, you look at all the challenges in the world today and going to the moon is really a priority. (laughs) Now, some would say it's his money. Again, we're back to prior to the modern age there's a goodly number of people who actually did take seriously. No, it's not. Mm. Now, again, I can hear the voices of friends. This is just so esoteric. This doesn't really work in the real world. I say to them, depends what you think is the real world. What if the world you're in is actually something's been pulled over your eyes. And yeah. um, so that's what I mean by, by good conscience um, raises the question, you know, we have a good technology here, it might be X, Y, Z, but uh, let's do a pre-mortem on what could possibly go, what would possibly be detrimental in, uh, in introducing this technology. I rarely hear that kind of conversation. So that at the end of the day, if, um, listen, we're crushing it on advertising dollars, so this is a great company, um, with no sense of, and we are increasingly creating generations whose their uh, social capacities are 
greatly diminished. And I would tend to think being a social being is pretty important to being a human being. Yeah. So my, my, my brain just connected back to uh, what you were saying about the letter of the law here. And I, I'm just thinking on conversations that I've been a part of over, over my career of retention strategies. And it's funny, you had mentioned just as soon as it's written down, you know, one of the things I've seen, um, you know, there's, there's this thing called like a stay, a stay interview. It's one strategy where you, you ask kind of ask a person I, I guess I guess the idea is you're trying to drive what's keeping them at this company and um, the, that the the strategy is simply you know it'll make sure you have these interviews and in in the past I've even had spreadsheets where you fill in every time you talk to this person what did you talk about what when did salary come up um, you know what's what's their retention risk and at the time, I, I did, again, I didn't understand why it rubbed me the wrong way, but I think it's kind of what you're saying here, which is it, it, totally, it totally loses the, the spirit of, of the endeavor, which is trying, trying to keep good people. But, but it, as soon as it goes into this mathematized mm-hmm. system with uh, metrics of we can report on these things, it just, it just really loses, loses it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, so here's a fascinating thing. We'll, <laughs> maybe we'll close this podcast on this. You, you know, again, if you're sitting there saying, I want answers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you know the answers. S- spend some time in silence. Spend some time in solitude. <laughs> those well, one, are the practicals. <laughs> yeah, those are get practical. So here's a fascinating um, put up by you know, one poll, a poll that was um, came out earlier this week. Um, this survey purportedly says indicates three out of ten Americans would give up sex for the rest of their lives for financial security. No. <laughs> First of all, I'm happily married, so that blows my mind. <laughs> Second, uh, went on to say millennials, we're not picking on you millennials, by the way, uh, the number one thing they now look for in a romantic partner is uh, financially responsible. Wow. Now, what's this telling us? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to go there, Mike. <laughs> a lot of it's again. It's this mathematization. It's. It is. It reminds me of um, a wise man once told a story about a man who built big barns, mm. and then he stuffed them full, and then he sat back and he said, "No." going to be a leisurely life on set. Three out of ten say they would give up that experience, which is where you taste heaven, to have a barn stuffed with money. 
You fool. You do not know that tonight your life will be required of you. Oh my, come on. <laughs> you don't really believe that story, do you? I know people who stuff their barn and they're happy as a lark. They got three homes. They travel. They just were in Florence. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, your life does not consist of your possessions. I wonder whether we believe any of this anymore. Thank you.